Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Zeit gang, you like to watch new stuff, right? I mean, who doesn't? I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama, a new season of The Kardashians starring the Kardashians, of course, and Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Hello, the internet, and welcome to this episode of the Weekly Zeitgeist. Uh, These are some of our favorite segments from this week, all edited together into one uh, nonstop infotainment laugh extravaganza. Yeah. So without further ado, here is the Weekly Zeitgeist. I got to give a shout out to uh, Zeitgang. Zeitgeist mm. listener Smooth Lou, I believe, is okay. the name. Smooth Lou, okay. who solved the mystery. Did you see this on Twitter? No, 2000. of 2000. Wait, what was it? Grand Pooba. It's a Grand Pooba Whoa. track. <laughs> From 1995, I guess. Going and did you, did you go back and you checked it out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely, that's the song. Oh, wait, wasn't this a track called 2000? Yeah. I don't know um, why it took us so long. I guess it like didn't didn't really hit that wow, hard on the internet. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, check out that song. It's okay. kind of it's kind of good. I, I, wow. I stand by my reference to 2000. It. Yeah, man. <laughs> I still love it. Okay, the energy's still there. Wow, right. shout out Zyking. Honestly, you guys fucking between all of y'all, we don't need Google. And we yeah. could have googled it, but it was hard to just Google 2000 song lyric. We really try. So smooth, Lou. Great, great yeah. Twitter handle. Uh, even better at uh, saving my ass from f- making it seem like I was referencing a Billy Joel song. Yeah, smooth, Lou. We owe you a hamburger. Yes, smooth, Lou came through to, with with that. Said, "I got you, fam. Thanks for all you do." And then somebody else came through and vouched for smooth, Lou. Was like, "Pretty oh cool, dude. I miss you, smooth, Lou. It's like no. forever." So much love to smooth, Lou. Wow. This one goes out to you. All right, Miles. It's a special episode. We're talking labor. I'm We're sorry. Talking... I'm still blown away that Smooth Lou put this together. I'm smooth still, like, I'm really. I mean, did you hear it? Did you yeah, hear no, the song? No. I, I, yeah, I started playing it a little a second ago, and I'm like, this is big. Wow. Yeah. You know, big poopa head over here. Yeah. Damn. All right. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, back, back to you, Jack. And back to you, Miles. Yep. No, back to you. <laughs> nope. Back to you, fam. Nope. So this <laughs> no, episode, we are... <laughs> no, uh, and mm-hmm. I'm still going to go back to you, pal. Mm-hmm. Shoulders are loose. Yeah. Shoulders loose. Head on a swivel. Yeah. The there hips go. got honey Three in them. Point stance. So it's time. You deny, know what that deny, means. Deny. It's time to be thrilled to be joined in our third seat yeah. by a professor of Alaska Native Languages at the mm-hmm. University of Alaska Southeast, the host of the podcast, The Tongue Unbroken, from next the Next Up Initiative. Yeah. Please welcome Dr. Hune Lance Twitchell! Hooray! 
hi, it's me. I'm the problem. I'm colonization. Hey, hey. how's it going? It's so good to good. see you guys. Yeah, it's good to have you back. You know, someone tried AI with our Tlingit language. And no. So there was, no, there's a reporter here in Juno uh-huh. for the Juno Empire. And so she had entered a short, she wrote a short story, and then she entered it into this thing that that had the Tlingit language as an option. And then she sent it to me. She said, could you just take a look at this? And I said, well, those are words, but it's just grabbing words and just putting them at random, Ooh. including my name. Like my name was in the story like 10 times. And so I said, <laughs> "Wow, it's just complete gibberish. It makes no sense. So the whatsoever. computer, like from it, from it trying to glean information about Klingit, that it found your name and it was like, okay, so this must also be part of the mix. Yeah. Uh, yeah so and just, here we go. Here's your story. <laughs> Wait, and, how did and it maybe, read? Well, like, it was truly out of, out of order. Just, like yeah. word salad. Yeah, there, there's a couple of words, but like one of the big problems is when you change a verb in our language is it changes a lot. And and so to be able to man you could you could develop something that could manufacture stuff in our language, but you would have to spend a lot of hours. And so what it seems like it did is found a dictionary and just sort of grabbed uh, words, but never right. really looked at what they mean, I guess. And so it's just like Here's a bunch of words. Here's a word salad. And right. that's your story. So, you know, <laughs> task complete. Yeah. I mean, that's good. Good to know that AI is still right now. It's only fucking up like English. You know? Yeah. Right. And and so but it's probably coming for everything eventually. And so but maybe maybe there's a world where you have someone to talk to, because with our with our language, we have about 40 people left who could speak. So it does get pretty scary. And we have a language north of us that's called EAC that lost its last living birth speaker. And when she was the only speaker for quite a while, she would say, I talk to my TV, I talk to the walls, I talk to God, and nobody talks to me. So like, mm. what we're trying to do is like keep that from happening. So I, I started with uh, a Taylor Swift uh, take on a Taylor Swift song, because I thought maybe if we can get the Swifties and the beehive on board with decolonization. Right. Like they, they've got so much energy and commitment. And so I think maybe we'll get somewhere. Yeah. I, I think it definitely makes sense for Taylor Swift. I feel like she, her career has gone from being just like, oh, shucks. I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of a good songwriter to like, she, we've like witnessed her waking up a little bit to the complexities of the modern world. So I don't know. Or maybe, at least maybe private equity. Yeah, you know, which those, isn't is that new where albums? Her... Yes, yeah, so that's why I got those new albums, Private Equity, because of the baby. Taylor's version, baby, and Private Equity. All lines go back there. Hey, even a broke clock, you know. Yeah. What is something from your search history that is oh revealing God. about who you are? My search history is chaotic and just like so. I looked at it and was like, "Oh, this screams help me." <laughs> I was looking up asexuality, the difference between attraction and desire, but I was also looking at STI rates in America and uh, non-toxic condoms. Okay, so uh, asexuality, uh, yeah. STI rates, non Wait, so wait, what are toxic condoms? Uh, most condoms are owned by the... Most condom companies are owned by the same five companies, and if you get a box, you'll notice that it doesn't have ingredients listed on them, but they do have ingredients that are just not required to, mm. which is really crazy. And a lot of the ingredients are harmful, irritating, or in some cases, toxic. I I didn't know that. Like, I do all this research for the show that I have, and I just interviewed these ladies who have a non-toxic condom company, and I had the same reaction. I said, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) I've, like, you know, been with a toxic dude or two, but I didn't realize I was... The condoms, condoms as well. Yeah, yeah that seems like something I can control. So yeah, things like parabens or preservatives. Like, why would a condom have preservatives for the flavor? Mm. <laughs> Keep it fresh. Okay, yeah. but shelf. You're not shelf wrong. Stable. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> right? Is it? <laughs> but but if it's just if you just have like just latex and just silicone, right? Right. You don't right. need those other things. Right. So what is it preserving exactly? The patriarchy. I didn't. didn't, No, no, no. (laughs) That ass. Like that's really what it is. (laughs) It's like. uh, It's like I don't know. It doesn't fuck the guy up. 
Yeah, basically. <laughs> so we're basically. good over it here. Just, it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. all those memes about like, is he worth risking your pH over this? It's like, no, that's really accurate. Right. Yeah. Truly. Oof. I know. So anyway, that's how I spend my time. There you go. Django, what's something you think is overrated? Oh, my God. Well, this is going to kind of fly in the face of my whole uh, summer tomatoes love. <laughs> but I am coming to the conclusion these last couple of years that I think the season of summer is overrated. I think it's two I'm days in a row. row. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. yeah. Said, said, well, there you go. It's a consensus. Yeah. I think it's just too hot. People are a little too weird and angry in New York City, especially. It just kind of like fucks the brain chemistry a little. So I think as I get older, I'm quickly transitioning to a fall man. I think fall is where it's at. Fall is where all the dreams come true. Summer is just <laughs> sticky, repetitive, day in, day out. Yeah. Rain, rain falling apart. Can't sleep at night. Three showers a day. I just I just can't take it anymore, guys. Uh, You're a fall yeah. guy. My fall, I'm a fall guy. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... It is like we it, it gets really positive media. Like we were talking about how heat waves, the deadliest weather event in the United States year in, year out. And the photographs that get like posted next to that story in the news is like children playing in a sprinkler <laughs> or like drinking yeah. out of a fire hose or, or right. not people at the beach. But, yeah, like going to the beach or just somebody sweating while pouring water on their head. So yep. it's like, but yeah, summer, I mean, in addition to just like the straight up heat deaths, like violence always rises during the yeah. summer. Bad yeah. time. They should but, show, B, the B-roll should be like a guy freaking out of the subway, like, my car's not working, my car's not working, my car's not working, like <laughs> yeah. losing his mind. That's what summer right. kind of evokes for me these days. Yeah. It's interesting, too, how climate change is just completely souring people now on seasons that used to be like the coolest one. Like, I know. So, like it used to be like no one would ever like, I think summer is overrated unless you're like someone who's like, I get burned easily. But now it's truly it's like it's fucking unbearable at times outside. And yeah. that isn't a good feeling. But I wonder if then that swings with like winter when we get like more intense winters and be like, yeah, and fuck the Arctic freezes that we have every six months, too. Yeah. So, got, a, got a lot in store, it seems like. What's uh, what's something you think is underrated? Oh, boys, strap in for this one. I, I've lately become all about room temperature water. Okay. Um, I okay. think I, I think I want my water the same temperature as my body. I don't want it hurting my teeth. I don't want space in my refrigerator, my tiny New York refrigerator filled. So lately it's been a pitcher of water on the counter at, you know, a nice 80 degrees, pound it easy. That, that's, my, that, that's my approach going forward. So it's not a sipping thing. It's more like you're doing like a F1 pit stop just to get the hydration in quickly. Yeah, purely efficient, efficiently. And also like, I think like in in the same way the media hypes up summer, the media will hype up glistening cold glasses of water with perfect, perfect cubic ice cubes. I don't think that's about it. I think water should be nice, nice and mild. So it's not to offend my delicate sensibilities. Oh, I can, I, I feel like I can only drink ice water. Oh, I don't know yeah. why. I just like it feels I think that's how in my mind I elevate ice like water to like a fun thing. Oh, sure. like, oh <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. cold and nice and crisp. But now I can just drink jugs of it. But yeah. Treat, yeah. yeah uh, body temp water. All right. I'll 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 try it. I'm, I'll think of it in the way of like it's more about how can I get it down quickly? Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm one of those like neurotic drink a shitload of water every day, guys. So I think mm-hmm. it just makes it easier for me. So maybe if you had more like pleasurable relationship with water would be different but for me it's all about the function right right yeah right. why do i think room temp water is like drinks slower than cold water is that just because of that my preference is cold water i'm not sure but yeah i think i can like just hammer back a lot of cold water and room temp water is like harder to get down don't you ever get the shivers i don't know <laughs> oh man you guys are you get the shivers jango from a little oh, ice water hundred percent, man. Your lips cold, turn blue. Man. You're like, I'm like, a, I'm a delicate little flower. I think it's the lesson we're learning here. Is I really, <laughs> yeah. It's like, don't the water can't be too hot or too cold. Now mm-hmm. it has to be just around the temperature of his internal organs. Like yeah. Something related to what you said about tooth pain that I've just discovered is underrated for me is sensitive toothpaste. Mm-hmm. I was, I wasn't. For some reason, I was just not not paying attention to that as an option. I've started using it lately, and my teeth don't hurt anymore when I when I eat stuff that's there cold or hot. So, yeah, 
I don't know. I thought I picture I thought like I lump, lumped sensitive toothpaste in with elderly toothpaste for some mm-hmm. reason. Yeah, like, yeah. Was yeah. Like, what is this for people with dentures. Yeah, that's how it started. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we all we all got those little sensitive spots. You know, sometimes it's better to do it like that. You got a GTA five poster behind you. Oh, is this me? Oh, Jesus. No, this is uh, South, Vietnam, oh. or South Vietnam, North Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> the edge of it, the bottom of it. Which it looks would be like a, great, a great place for the GTA franchise to go to Vietnam War, <laughs> carjacking people in Saigon. Yeah, right. Exactly. At the fall of Saigon. Okay. Because there's a there's like that little peninsula at the bottom because I'm so video yeah, yeah, game yeah, yeah. brained. I'm like, oh, is that a GTA 5 map, bro? No, totally. I, I, I get it now. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it does have little icons, you know, like banks and safe houses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about an imploding presidential campaign. We'll be right back. You like to watch new stuff, right, Zygang? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. And don't miss the new season of The Kardashians, uh, starring The Kardashians, of course, and Season 5 promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set on the tropical Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island, and secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. Now, this is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. If you ever felt like you were always too much this while also never being enough that, this is the podcast for you. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth issues affecting the Latin community, and much more via my own personal stories, along with interviews with inspiring thought leaders from our community. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community that you need to know. So much of what makes our community so beautiful is our diversity, yet too often those of us who don't fit into this dumb, stereotypical box of whatever it means to be Latino are left without a voice or just forgotten about. On this show, I celebrate the uniqueness of our culture and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. And we are thrilled to be joined in our third seat by a very funny comedian, writer, executive producer, TV host, and labor organizer, who you know from Adam Ruins Everything, his podcast Factually, and being out in these streets, picketing, acting as a member of the negotiating committee, serving on the WGA West Board of Directors. It's Adam Conover! Adam! It's lovely to be here. That was was all my credits. I have a lot of titles now. Half yeah. of those things I'm not doing now because I'm on strike. I'm not a TV host right now. Oh, I'm yeah, not, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, right. that's all cat. Former. Never mind those things. Nascent. When, it's, yeah. when no. it's all over, I'll be back on your screens, you know? There yes. you go. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thanks Man. for joining us. I can't imagine this is a busy time for you at all. 
Yeah, I was that just sounds like I, you got nothing going on. I was just out on the street, you know, for for three four hours, ninety degree heat with a sign talking to people. It's a blast, man. It's uh, I'm having so much fun out there. The solidarity feels so good. It's just it's great. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people are making sacrifices, you know, but. There's uh, our political director, this wonderful woman, Rachel Torres. She's brilliant. She told me, uh, you know, if you're smiling while you're sacrificing, if you're having a good time while you're making the sacrifice, then they can't beat you. And I think that that is uh, really true. Yeah, for sure. Just big cheerleader smiles out there yeah. on the. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> great people. It's it's a party. A guy brought a sound system to Netflix, and now he's playing like sort of mid tempo like dance music. You know, oh, it nice. feels like kind of that kind of that outdoor day club like pool club kind of right like it's, people almost feel like they should be having frozen cocktails walking around like it's just the vibes <laughs> are good and then he's like remixed like people giving speeches like fran drescher's speech someone told me he like remixed one of my tiktoks into a what? song of like you know so you on the picket line 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 and you sent him a takedown notice immediately i'm assuming right yeah 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 better yeah like who signed off on but that? yeah i mean we we were talking we, this feels like a huge moment for labor these are you know with, with the wga some of the most influential like unionized union protected workers on the planet but with with actors with the screen actors guild you know the faces the yeah yeah beauty yeah it's the brain the beauty and brains coming together yeah. you know but yeah i don't know J just kind of thinking about this thinking about the history of labor and unions in hollywood it feels like hollywood to this point the fact that unions have been a presence in hollywood for as long as they have it's a great learning moment for why capitalism doesn't work without <laughs> unions, basically. Right. Like yeah. That's, yeah. Well, it's an open question whether capitalism works at all, you know? Yeah. And, and, <laughs> I think you're yeah. arguing, yeah, like unions are the thing that keep people from being like, oh, Marx was definitely right. It's like yeah. we're just bad <laughs> yeah. enough that people are like, like I don't know, it's not that years. bad. Yeah. Right, right, right. I mean, look, I sort of don't get into Marxism, socialism. I don't do isms. I just know that the union and the union structure is the only way to fight back. Right. And right. so so I you know, the, it, the union is a hammer and I grab the hammer and I start smashing shit. And it's it's yeah. really fun. Yeah. So, I mean, the only reason people even think of writing, acting, directing as being lucrative jobs, you know, like if you say, oh, my cousin's an actor in L.A., you're, you might be, oh, he's if he's working, he's making good money. Right. That's right, what right. your assumption is. That's only because we've had strong unions in this town for 90 years. The Writers Guild was found, founded 90 years ago. And it's only because those unions went on strike. Uh, the last time the writers and actors went on strike together was 1960. And in that negotiation, we won our health and pension plans and we won the existence of residual payments, which are the payments we get every time a, the product is aired. Right. And and uh, that's why I have a health and pension today is because they went on strike then. That's why I've gotten residuals to help tide me through the slow periods of my career uh, is because of uh, those actors and writers going on strike. And so now it's our turn to do the same thing. And that's why we're out there. Yeah. As, as a thought experiment, I was trying to think of, like, what do we think the last 90 years of movies and TV look like if the industries were never unionized? Uh, YouTube. Like, looks yeah, like YouTube. Right? Yeah. You know, people barely scraping by. Um, or it, it looks like, I mean, look at uh, Korea, for instance. There was, um, or the anime industry, right? right? Those are two extremely popular, uh, you know, they make a lot of media that's consumed by a lot of people. And the people who make the media aren't able to make a living. There was a great piece in the L.A. Times a couple weeks ago about how the guy who created Squid Game, you know, they and Netflix trotted this guy's story out as a, a hero story. You know, oh, he tried to make the show for 10 years and he couldn't make it until Netflix gave him a chance. It became a worldwide hit. Right. That guy made from the first season, which was a, again, worldwide smash like Game of Thrones level, yeah. you know, people watching it. He made two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, that's you know, that's a good living, right? That's not what you should get if you made the most popular show ever, right? And that's the guy who created the show. The people who work on the shows and the people who create, you know, your more average K-dramas, right? That, you know, I hear about one or two K-dramas or K-comedies a year, but, you know, the ones that are a little further down the down the pipe that that the real the real fans watch, 
those people are literally not making a living making television. They right. are writing those shows in between their day jobs or they're working 18 hour days. And then when the show ends, they're just like, well, back to my day job, right? And this this article, you can look up LA Times, you know, Squid Game, Korean, Google that and you'll find the article, um, goes into really long detail on that. And the reason is there's no unions. And yeah. uh, Netflix is exploiting that. I mean, they talk about Netflix came into that market and said, oh, we want to, you know, spread Korean content around the world. Right. And they created a lot of work. They created a lot of shows, but no one's being paid because the stand the work standards are so abysmal. Um, it's no it's idea. sweatshop media, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea that that was the thing. I mean, again, obviously, because a lot of Korean media is so good that I was like, oh, okay, yeah. this is a natural progression of things. It's, and then it, I remember seeing, like, oh, Netflix yeah. is going in. Like, but there was right. a moment when I was like, oh, they're going in. Like, I, to the point where I was like, oh, they might, they're really trying to put their foot down in Korea. I had no idea because they're like, yeah, man, you can get away with anything over here. Yeah, that's and exactly that's right. I mean, it's just like a, it's a car company, you know, moving to Mexico, right? Or to right. any other, or, you know, Nike in Bangladesh, Right. It's mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're they are taking advantage of poor work standards to get the product a lot cheaper. And, you know, wh- why do the companies love anime? You know, it's awesome as an American, you know, someone who grew up, you know, trading VHS tapes of anime right. that it's like popular in the U.S. Now it's popular around the world. That's great. But I mean, you you guys know that horrible conditions that anime is made in. I mean, people people die in that industry. Yeah. Like the of, Simpsons of would make jokes about it. I remember. And yeah. I was yeah. like, is that a joke or is that one of those Simpsons <laughs> jokes? So they're like, no, 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 that's real. Just so you <laughs> yeah. know, it's it's awful. It's it's yeah. awful. And that's one of the reasons they're pumping it out is they is they feel that they can, you know, get more content for less dollars. Now, the thing about that, though, is that American American media is still the most popular, valuable media in the world, right? It's still right. what people want to watch, like from a big budget thing like Avatar 2, right, to you know, even, uh, you know, reruns of old sitcoms, right? People are still watching Friends in Australia, you know? Yeah, and, right. Ireland. Yeah. yeah, and new shows as well, right? That is what people want to watch more than anything else, um, both in America and around the world. And one of the reasons for that is because the the entertainment industry has been the only place that paid creators fairly, for the yeah. last hundred years, you know, if you are a great right. writer and you want to make, if you want to, if you want to buy a big house <laughs> off of your writing, you know, where are you going to go? Are you going to work in journalism? Are you going to work in novels? No, you're going to go try to sell a big movie script, right? That's been the pattern in Hollywood up until basically the early 2000s, where you had yeah. the best writers. literally Faulkner and Fitzgerald came to Hollywood, right, to yeah. write movies. And, you know, How think about go. Well, they both (laughs) drank themselves to death, but too much uh, money. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. But, you know, that was that was the way uh, it worked. And the companies have broken that compact. And as a result, the content is getting worse, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're we're entering this Marvel period where they're trying to, you know, they say, oh, the the actor doesn't matter. The writing doesn't matter. All that matters is Spider-Man. People will go to see Spider-Man no matter what, you know, no matter who's in the suit, no matter what he's saying. Right. And it's not actually true. Because, you know, look at what happened with The Flash, right? They realize they can't just cram in superheroes and expect people to show up. Right. Yeah. But, you know, all that that makes the CEOs think is they need to pump harder. They need to, yeah. you know, get more blood out of that stone. But it, it, so these companies are destroying the compact. And why did the compact work? Because of unions. We had strong unions here yeah. that, in, that you know, meant we had good working conditions. That meant people wanted to move here to, to Los Angeles or to New York to to make the content. And we're fighting to change that, to, to make it the way it should be. I feel like The Flash is a good example of, you know, The Flash recently came out, Indiana Jones recently came out, and the primary complaint that you heard from them is creepy CGI, like terrible, weird CGI yeah. that take takes you out of it. And, yeah. l- like, effects are a, a frequent complaint and you hear people like wonder why like how this happens on some of yeah. these movies they spent 300 million dollars on effects and it's at, at least partially because the effects houses are not unionized Correct. Like, that is not a part of the industry that is protected and Correct. so you have situations where the effects house that won the oscar for life of pi is out of business by the yeah. time they get the award 
You know? Yeah, or, uh, you know, if, if you talk to, I've talked to people who work at FX houses for Marvel and they, they're treated terribly. You know, they're, they're asked to do impossible things on impossible turnarounds that, you know, uh, we, oh, we want, we want it like this. No, we want it like this. You have to change everything, but we're not going to pay you more and you have half as much time to do it. You know, that kind of request. The people who work at the, at these companies, you know, they, their careers last five years and then they burn out because they can't do it anymore. It's a lot like video games. Right. And, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding, but also, you know, we're on, we're in a new era of the special effects, right? It used to be that the special effects, the, the CGI was there to impress and delight the audience, right? Oh my God, look at the Terminator in Terminator 2, right? He's melting. He's the melty man. It's look liquid. how cool. Or Toy Story, right? Look how great it looks. Now they use it as a cost cutting device. They use it in order to, they're like, oh, if we just like send it all to a VFX house that's non-union and make them do all the work, it's a lot cheaper, you know? Yeah, if if right. you look at the difference between, look, the the uh, the new Mission Impossible, right? I saw it, uh, look, it's not a good movie, <laughs> but, but it's- You don't think it's it, an accurate depiction of AI? <laughs> well, it is interesting that the villain is AI, right? Right. The, the, the script is, uh, I don't want to get into it, right? But the action scenes, right? It's got these two incredible action sequences that are totally worth seeing in a theater, had people hooting and hollering, great time. And why did they work so well? Because they fucking happened in real life. Because right. they put in the effort and the craft and the time to, you know, go to the place and do the stunt and shoot the thing or to build the set or to buy the car or to put the person in the place. Right. right. And uh, for movies like The Flash, they're like, just have the guy stand in front of a green screen and we'll make some underpaid couple bozos. Yeah. You know, sorry, they're not bozos. They're great artists, but they're underpaid. They don't have enough time. Yeah, they're working in terrible conditions. Yeah, yeah. So it's cut rate. It's sweatshop content. You know, and that's about what another lightning portal in the sky. What, it, what if we did one yeah. of those? I feel oh, like he was just, just, yeah. just coming out of portals and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's portals, right? There's but, flashy I mean, stuff. Yeah. Adam, I got to oh. ask, though, right? Like, these costs, they got to, like, studios got to cut costs because I've heard it straight from their mouths. Times are tough right oh, now yeah. for studios. I heard Bobby J. I'll say Iger in a very fancy way, uh, yeah. you know, really be out here being like, you know, their their demands are unrealistic or yeah. other people. I've heard the I've heard the thing over and over that times are hard for studios. And we've talked a lot about this where, you know, Iger's pay was what approaching 27 million for the year. And like people yeah. like what David Zaslav almost be like a quarter of a billion dollars in 2021. Yeah. What how would you define if from their perspective? It's it's that they're trying to inaccurately describe a, a problem that they maybe they have created through their own well, business decisions? Yeah, I mean, that's a wonderful answer to your own question. That's a great way to put it. I mean, look, these guys are raking it in. And let's be really clear. Uh, so writer-producer pay has fallen by 23% uh, at the median over the last 10 years. Um, that's the Writers Guild's own figures. That's total pay. Over the same time, show budgets have gone up by 50%. Revenue has gone up. Profits have gone up for these companies, just their entertainment divisions. I'm not even talking about, you know, Disney's got sports, they've got theme parks. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about literally the entertainment divisions of the companies. Revenue, profits, budgets all up while our salaries go down. At right. the same time, they're paying these companies, the, these uh, CEOs, massive, massive amounts of money. I mean, Bob Iger, when he made those comments, he had just negotiated for himself uh, an additional two years. And he's making an extra 50 million bucks a year. That guy yeah. doesn't fucking need that money. He's already yeah. incredibly wealthy. If you look at the aggregate he's made over the last 10 years, well, how dare he go on television and plead poverty while the rest of us are not able to make a living, while his workforce is not able to make health insurance or, yeah. you know, make a living anymore. It's revolting. But it's line goes up shit, right? It's they're, they're answering yeah. to the Wall Street. And for Wall Street, it's never enough. Like when you have Absolutely. a good year, that that is an it indication that you should year. keep yeah. being better years. Like that's, yeah. we, we want to consi consistently see that line. But also go these, but, but it's not just that because growth is, growth is possible, right? If you do, you can do it the right way. Right. You can pay everybody properly and make good shit that people actually like and make more money. That's my belief in life. And there's yeah. companies that fucking do it, right? And also, it's what the entertainment industry did for a long time. Like, a lot of people were paid shitty in the entertainment industry. You know, like the unions are the ones that, uh, you know, that protected us. PAs are, have always been paid shittily. There's a lot of bad shit in Hollywood. But like, 
you know, from the 80s through the 2000s, everybody liked the product, right? We had peak TV, right? Everyone had cable. We were watching ads. We were fine with it. We could watch on demand or use DVR if we needed to. You know what I mean? Everything was, people were making so much money. People were going to the movie theater. The content was good, you know, and the people who made it were paid. And now what's happening? People don't like the product anymore. Right. You know, the Netflix revolution was a lie that, that they, you know, the idea that you could pay $15 a month and never have to pay another penny and never watch an ad and watch every show ever made. They were lying to the public that that was possible. They destroyed a profitable business model in order to, to find a new one. And, uh, but at the same time, they kept enough of the money for themselves that the people at top, at the top are doing better while everyone else does worse. But the companies would grow more if they, if they did it the right way, period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The golden age of TV is a great example of the WGA working because, you know, like you mentioned, like the WGA and like the things that the WGA has provided like writers with, like a, the ability to make a living during dry periods or whatever, like helps writers, you know, remain writers. And a lot of the best TV is created by people with the long time experience in like past successful and unsuccessful TV shows like Breaking Bad is created by a former X-Files writer. Like there's a big break between those. Sopranos comes from a writer on Northern Exposure, like Matthew Weiner cut his teeth on Becker and in-laws before he got on Sopranos. You know and your Mad shit. Yeah. yeah. Like, but like the, you, you know, on your episode where like where you were talking about, the strike you were talking to i think david goodman yeah who and you know he's a family guy writer who yep. all talk, told a story about how he almost quit the industry but like a residual check for a show he wrote on in the past that he said like wasn't very good but him it got him through yep. so that he could keep being a writer and there's just yep. all this all this information that gets passed down like yep. i i forget where i heard it but somebody was saying that like the family tree of all of the golden age TV shows, it all like traces back to Columbo and like that show <laughs> then like created all, like all the writers on that became showrunners on other shows. And it just like branched down. So we magically have this period of golden era TV, but like that doesn't happen if the television industry works the way like the, the industry that I think all three of us have a background in is like creating content for the internet. And yeah, like right. just the way that we've seen that devolve over the past 15 years it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Like there were yeah. no guardrails and there were yeah. no ways to, you know, like ensure good outcomes for the people that were contributing well, to that environment. Either. Well, yeah, because they uh, the, the companies decided to, to pull them, sell them for part for parts. You know, I mean, look at look, I like I play video games. Right. So I like reading video game websites. There's no such thing as video game websites anymore. I mean, there's right. sites where people upload shit for free, like YouTube, right? Yeah. Right. Um, where where people put in all the work and all the risk themselves of putting up work, and then you know, if you're lucky, you get paid by YouTube if you happen to hit, right? Right. But in terms of being somebody who's like a journalist who covers video games, goes to E3, interviews people, breaks stories, right? There literally are not outlets left that pay people to do this because they've been stripping them for parts. One of them that I read is Kotaku. I've read it right. for years. They're trying to replace those writers with AI. They're trying to like, oh, and, no. and like, what's, what's the fucking point of that? Do they, do they think I'm gonna go to Kotaku.com to read AI-generated articles? I right. also have ChatGPT. I can just ask ChatGPT if I want an AI answer. Why yeah. are you hiring someone to copy paste from ChatGPT? What the fuck is the point of that? Why yeah. destroy your own industry? People yeah. go because they like the people. Right. Right. And I guess there's like that. That's just like that disconnect we see like in every industry where, again, there's like a motive to make sure that like you provide value to shareholders while completely like missing sight of like the actual products that are being made. And yeah, like yeah. if consumers are going to be savvy enough, because tr look, I love bullshit reality TV, but I like like actually well-written te television also. And I can already see like you like just that that shift to Max was like sort of like a preview of like the worlds we're looking at. It's like, well, remember HBO? There's that. And then there's just all this other unscripted nonsense that fucking also is really shit. cheap to make. And like, you know, kind of maybe where things should be going if writers and actors don't get off their shit. Max is such an antithesis of the last, you know, of how you build a successful media company, right? 
Like HBO, there's a wonderful book about HBO. I read it this year called It's Not TV. It's just a history of HBO from the beginning. What you realize HBO is like this, you know, starts out as just a cable company that, you know, you pay extra and you can watch fights and stuff like that, right? Right. And then they find this niche of, oh, we can make content that doesn't exist on broadcast, right? We can make something that's edgy. We can da 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 da, right? And yeah, they build dream the cr- on. Exactly. Dream on, right. This show with a, <laughs> used to watch that because there was boobs in it, right? Yeah. yeah. But, absolutely. you know, they do the Larry Sanders show. They do the Sopranos, right? And they sort of create prestige TV is created by HBO to the point where, you know, by, by up to, you know, three or four years ago, you know, if a show comes out on HBO, you're like, I'm going to assume this show is good, right? right yeah. Because you know that their creative culture is like, if HBO's putting their muscle behind that, it's got to be good. And there's exceptions. There's stinkers, of course. Yeah, sure. Like, like uh, you know, the idol or whatever. But that's the, the, the it, it's the cathedral of television and people know that, right? And so when Netflix comes along and all these other channels starting their streamers, what would have been the easiest thing in the world? Call the streamer HBO. Yeah. Just, you, you, people are already subscribed to HBO for 15 bucks a month. There's a streaming service called HBO. Have HBO make more shows. Keep the brand that people know, the thing people care about. They actually like HBO. It's for adults. It means something to people. It's not TV, it's HBO. Instead, now HBO is a vertical underneath this mystery meat thing, Max, that no one's ever heard. That's not a brand. That was literally what they called it instead of Plus. They're like, should we call it HBO Plus? No, too small. We'll call it HBO Max. Right. (laughs) It's extreme HBO. And then like, but then they got rid of the part that people fucking knew and just called it Max. That's like if Disney Plus just called itself Plus. Right. People are there for the Disney. Yeah. They're not there for the Plus. I'm so mad. And then the Max ads (laughs) were all trading on these like icons of film. Like yeah, the right. things that like are completely outside of the model that they're trying to force things in the direction yeah. of. Or call yeah. it fucking Warner Brothers. Right, people right. know Warner Brothers. Call it Warner Max. People love yeah. the people. People have been watching Warner Brothers in this country for a hundred years. Like, yeah. just call it that. But instead, you know, uh, Zaslav treats this company. It's like a stock portfolio to him, right? He's like. Oh, I put this in, I put that in, I put that in. That's my tranche of content. That's my big batch of content. I don't give a shit what it's called, right? Yeah. Because his plan is to sell it or whatever he wants to do. He's he's financialized it. But that's not that's not how you build a media brand. And you know, it's it's a shame. Like it often feels stupid to say, why don't these companies like respect these old time values of having like a good media brand that people actually care about? You know, that means something to people. But like, I feel stupid saying that because they don't care. They only care about money. But, like, they lose money by doing this. Yeah. You know, like, people, uh, how have we forgotten the lessons of the last hundred years of cap capitalism? Did these people go to fucking marketing school? Like, we're, it's just basic brand shit. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm mad. No, but, but it's true. I mean, it's it's so reactionary and it's it's everything about like whatever is good in the short term with no long term thinking. Like everybody's yeah. getting into streaming. I guess we're getting into streaming, too. Wait, what does it take to do that? And now we see like I mean, like with HBO Max, we saw half of the shit that was like interesting to people get absolutely vaporized. Yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk more about this and A.I. You like to watch new stuff, right, Zygang? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where... First-class luxury meets world-class drama. And don't miss the new season of The Kardashians, uh, starring The Kardashians, of course. And season five promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set on the tropical Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island. And secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. 
What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. Now, this is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. If you ever felt like you were always too much this while also never being enough that, this is the podcast for you. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more via my own personal stories, along with interviews with inspiring thought leaders from our community. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community that you need to know. So much of what makes our community so beautiful is our diversity, yet too often those of us who don't fit into this dumb, stereotypical box of whatever it means to be Latino are left without a voice or just forgotten about. On this show, I celebrate the uniqueness of our culture and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. And so to my question. Just repeat that question. <laughs> yeah. But I like I was saying, no, like, and I, I think if you didn't just skip ahead, the, the point being is, I, I think there's there's a lot of like you've you've spit a lot of facts every time you've come on. It's but like, have really made me think about how much. The way that we this like our societies were built in this country was built, how much it affects us now, how much it, it poisons us now to the point that we have no connection to each other, community to land and things like that. I'm. Do you see this as part and parcel of that disconnect or do you, is there is there another way you're looking at it? Well, it's so I, I guess I, I think of a couple of things. One is when I was going to school in Hawaii, I was living with one of my teachers named Larry Kimura, who we we call him the godfather of the Hawaiian language movement. He's just he's an amazing person. And at one point he was just he kind of started going off about these people wearing these shirts that say Aloha Aina, which is like love the land. And he says, you love the land? Show me your fingers. You got you got dirt underneath your fingernails. Mm. Have you been out working in the land? You've been digging. You've been planting stuff. You've been doing stuff. And so for me, I think if if the world starts glitching out, go out on the land, right? Just go go see what's out there and and go get your hands dirty. And then I also sometimes I have theories that maybe people don't want to hear. So I was in a class on American literature, and the theme of the class was paranoia. And at the sort of culminating moment in the class. Uh, this was for a, an MFA in creative writing. And the teacher, uh, who was really, he was a great guy. And he said, well, why do you guys think there's so much paranoia in American literature? And this person had an answer, and that person had an answer, and that person had an answer. And I raised my hand. And I said, well, I think it's because America stole everything from Native American peoples, and they're just kind of waiting for their comeuppance. And I also think that it's you can really geek out on sci-fi theories and stuff so you don't have to assume that your ancestors did something really horrible. And, and so I think if people say, no, this is all part of this larger program that we have no control of, mm. I think it's another system to avoid doing the work that it's going to take to sort of start moving towards a sense of equity, which is totally attainable, which is totally possible. But right. I think colonization sets up all of these mechanisms like either like it's it's already in place it's too late to do anything it's this thing or that thing or the the limitlessness of resource extraction and the absolute limit of budgets and time and energy right and so it just sort of gets you trapped into these systems so for me i'm always you know 
I'm always paranoid that something is racism and I'm always paranoid that something is colonization. And I'm usually right, but I'll also <laughs> say, you know, so that's my matrix that I'm stuck in, you know? So right. sometimes I'll be dealing with something else like, is this a colonization thing or is this a race? Like, am I getting, am I getting treated different because of, you know, my name or because of who I am or how I look? Are, are my kids be, being treated different? And so I'm, I'm always sort of, I'm paranoid myself, right? but I'm also, I have a, you know, I don't have a TikTok channel for it, but I, I've been right quite a few times with, with this kind of stuff too. So for me, I think it's fascinating and it's neat to look at. And like, I have friends who've seen UFOs and, and I have friends who've seen, we have our own monsters here that live in the woods. We went camping last weekend and it's fun. It's, it's a blast. We're like, we're in Alaska. You can just walk out your door and you're in the wilderness. But that means, you know, the dog starts barking. You're cooking some delicious dinner out in the middle of nowhere in the dark. Well, it's not in the middle of nowhere, but right. far from, you know, a hospital. Right. <laughs> and the dog's barking and, and looking down the trail. And you're like, grab all the food, get in the cabin, you know, because there's <laughs> probably, you know, like we respect the grizzly bear so much that we right. got two names. Like, so hoots is what we would call it. So it means brown bear. And we say it's eek for black bear. But the brown bear is the one that's, it owns the forest. And we know that. But when we're out in the forest, we say yetsinate, which means a living thing. So we don't even say its name when we're out there because we're like, you say its name, it's going to be like, you talk you about Yeah. <laughs> you, you call me? Wait, you're in my house. And so yeah. we talk to them before we go into the woods and, and we sort of live this life that's pretty connected to the natural world. So I think the other thing too is there's a fascination with an artificial world because there's a prescribed disconnect with the natural world in order to maintain a sense of colonization and economics the way that it's required today. Like you have to be separate from it to say, yeah, cut all the trees down. Yeah, like kill off yeah. all those buffalo. Yeah, yeah you know, right. like this. these mountain lions scare me, so just murder them, right? And so, but in order to do that, you have to remove yourself, which, you know, Christianity kind of did that already. It's like man has domain of everything, including women, right? And it just creates tons and tons of problems because I think human beings, and especially if you just narrow it down to one gender, don't have enough skills and ability to like manage the universe it's sort of like actually you should just be in the universe and figure out how you're part of that because mm -hmm. you're not you're you're in the food chain you're you're in you're in all these circles you're in all these cycles and what you do affect all of these things and so i like the conversations i think it's fun i think it's fun to watch this stuff yeah. you're like oh yeah that is weird and hey, that's pretty cool but you can also zoom in on your iPhone. It starts to get pretty grainy. And then it's yeah. probably pretty easy when you got a shitty camera. There's in my house. <laughs> what the fuck? I, think, I mean, I think that kind of ties nicely into just, you know, if you have any additional thoughts on Avatar. But, like, the reality of, you know, what we're doing to the world and other humans and the history of what, you know, white people have done to the world and other human beings is maybe too uncomfortable for some people to take in and they want to create an artificial reality in the case of the matrix it's like just coming coming up with a system of belief that like we are in an unofficial reality but in the case of avatar it's like creating an unofficial like an artificial reality that you can go live in for a couple hours that also like rewrites that history where you get to like be on the good guy side on the on the side of the victim the people being victimized by colonialism like i i do think avatar is really interesting just as a phenomenon because i don't like i i can't think of another cultural pop cultural thing that was that is as successful as that those movies when they're happening and then as completely embarrassing the second they stop happening like like it happened right. once with the first Avatar and everyone was like, man, that was weird. And like Avatar was like a punchline. And, but then they did it again. <laughs> like he, he brought Avatar 2 out and every everyone went to fucking see that one too. And like they are the two of the three most uh, top grossing movies of all time. But like nobody would put a movie poster of that movie up except ironically. And so I don't know. 
I think there's like a weird disconnect. And then we also have the thing where like people were experiencing depression after they like came out of the movie because they couldn't just like experience that reality around the clock. So it's definitely filling a need that people have, but one that is disconnected from their mind in a way that like makes it unique where they can't like kind of incorporate it into their lives the way they can a Star Wars or something like that, where they make it part of their personality. Like, it it just feels like Avatar is this thing that is an experience, the thing you, like, try not to think about when when you're not at an Avatar movie or something. But, yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Avatar. Well, you know, I I think largely there's this fascination with white savior films, you know, so Dances with Wolves, what was the one? Uh, dangerous something. Where there's like a white school teacher who goes into dangerous, dangerous minds. Yeah, a black neighborhood, and you know, and and like there are certainly stories of people who come in and embrace community and become part of it and become something different and and do fight racism and fight colonization. You know, but it's it's very rare, especially when they they like they win or or something, and so. I started to think about this stuff quite a bit. And then there's a film called Real Engines, which is spelled R-E-E-L-I-N-J-U-N-S, which Mm. is a documentary on the history of Native Americans in film. And it kind of goes through a a number of different sort of scenarios. And and at one point, it talks about all these different white actors who have played Native Americans. And so there's a growing list of, you know, know, there's quite a few of them who have played uh, Native Americans and and then you also just get really interesting things. Like there is a guy, I think his name was Iron Eyes Cody or Cody Iron right. Eyes. I can never remember mm-hmm. which way it goes, but he played so many Native Americans in films that he full on believed he was Native American when he died. And, and it, to some extent, I think his children do as well. And so like he can assume this entire identity. And so I think there's a fascination with that to think about what if there was something different but then there's a disconnect as well because you don't really see that embraced in people's reality. Because if they come out of, like, let's say they came out of Avatar and said, whoa, like, I should learn an indigenous language and I should go contribute to a land back initiative and I, I should actually do something that's embracing decolonization. Because the film, you could argue, is about decolonization, right? It's It's a totally fictionalized decolonization. And so you could, like, if it translated into real action, that would right. be more interesting to me than just sort of saying, well, you know, it's it's a nice fantasy to say, oh, yeah, well, what if what if we had actually done something a lot more humane instead of taking everything from everybody? Because if you look at some things like we talked a bit about the Supreme Court, who is all kinds of fucked up, like just yeah. the types of things that they're doing, these decisions are horrible and they're they're just destructive for movements towards equity but the one thing they couldn't do is dismantle the indian child welfare act you know and so the reason why the indian child welfare act exists is because in the mid to late 1970s one out of every four native american children were removed from their homes and placed with white families in addition one out of every four native american women were sterilized without their full consent. Like this kind of stuff was still happening. And so the removal of people. And so like the other thing, I think there's a fascination with the idea that colonization had an end point or it had like we're in this post-colonial sort of world, which we're not. And and we could be, but it, it requires a consciousness that's going to move you beyond going to a movie for two or three hours and completely immersing yourself in this other idea and just saying, Actually, we can have a reality that is kind of close to the Avatar universe, which, you know, I'm not opposed to that reality. But what I'm opposed to is the idea that it exists or that going to the movie is somehow enough. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, too, because like, if, like to your point, if you're not coming out of the movie being like, wow, we got work to do, then really, then I don't know how good it's doing, because most people come out of that movie and be like, why isn't Pandora real? <laughs> Why that can't I go so there? Tight. Dude, yeah, that would like, be so oh. tight. So the oh. message was maybe <laughs> like secondary or tertiary to like the, wow, isn't this shit fucking cool anyway? Like then there's like some other shit happens to these blue people, whatever. 
Well, I came out inspired to be seven foot six. <laughs> <laughs> with a tail. my name to Jake Yeah, with Sumi. a tail. Because that does help with balance, it turns out. Yeah. And Stir my I coffee with sex, it. too, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Well, Hune, such a pleasure having you back yeah. on the show. Where can people find you, follow you, uh, all that good stuff? Yeah, well, uh, I have a podcast called The Tongue Unbroken, and season two is launching in November. So we're going to launch during... Uh, the start of the Native American Heritage Month. And the Next Up initiative is fabulous. And I really encourage you to just go check it out. It's the Next Up initiative with the iHeartRadio. And, and look at the current, this uh, whole new generation of Next Up initiative folks who are coming out. And I'm really excited to hear their podcasts and to to be a part of this movement where we're trying to find voices in the margins and pull them closer to the center. Uh, so you can find me. I'm sometimes on Facebook, sometimes on Twitter, although Twitter has gotten a lot less interesting as they used happen? to be. Oh, <laughs> you know, this, this billionaire <laughs> bought it and like, uh, and now his tweets just keep popping up. Like, you know, yeah. and so I, I tried to mute one of his tweets and says, this will make Twitter a better experience for you. And I was like, it will actually make Twitter a better experience for everybody if we saw a lot less of that voice. Yeah. <laughs> I've been getting a lot of AI ads that are just like really insulted. Like here, I, I screenshot one. Crazy thing happened with ask, askdata.co today. Still in shock. I was troubleshooting with a customer on Zoom and he had just gotten his person and it's like, keep reading, meet data, get it done. And it's like a promoted post for fucking <laughs> some bullshit. Oh they're God. They're all over the place. Anyways, yeah. I'm glad I interrupted for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the other thing I really want to promote is just indigenous language revitalization. So if you're not familiar what, with what the Hawaiian language movement is or Ojibwe or Mohawk or the Salish of Spokane, go look at what they're doing. Like, it's very possible. So on The Tongue and Broken, we like to talk about how do you do it? How do you how do you take these steps? If, if you have uh, a thousand speakers left, if you have... 10 speakers left, if you have no speakers left of your indigenous language, what kind of steps could you possibly take? And we like to envision a world where we dream the impossible dream and we we get back to a place of strength, which which takes action, which takes courage, which takes determination, and also takes a ton of self-analysis. Like colonization isn't just about people creating a bunch of harm to people. It's like also the indigenous people internalizing that harm and then hurting yeah. each other, which we we got a lot of work to do with that as well. All right, that's going to do it for this week's weekly Zeitgeist. Please like and review the show if you like the show. Uh, means the world to Miles. He, he needs your validation, folks. Uh, I hope you're having a great weekend, and I will talk to you Monday. Bye. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting 
through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again and getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before and we're bringing you along with us with new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season nine is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love season nine. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 